Hello, everybody. Welcome to Trinity. My name is Ashley. I'm one of the pastors here. We are so glad to have you with us. Those of you who are watching today or have had maybe the opportunity to check out our Instagram have already had the opportunity to hear Chris share about the uh, tragic events of this past week. Wednesday was an incredibly painful, uh, even shameful day, I think, for all of us. It's tempting at a time like this, I know even for myself, to want to look at what happened on Wednesday and to feel all kinds of things, but in our anger and our frustration, maybe even in our embarrassment to say, well, you know, that was them and those people and we're not like them. We are, I am different or better than that. And while I understand the temptation, feel it even myself, I also know that Jesus would call us to something better. And that in reality, whether I like it or not, want to believe it or not, I am more like people around me than I can see all the time. And that Jesus has called us to choose to believe, to accept, particularly in times like this, that we do in fact belong to each other. That my sin is going to bleed onto you and your sin is going to bleed onto me and we are all therefore going to bear the responsibility of it somehow. So what do we do with that? That being said, we do not all bear responsibility directly for what happened on Wednesday. There are many who do bear responsibility who have not yet chosen to accept it. And while we all may not bear direct responsibility for what happened, we do all right now have a choice to make. Will we choose right now to do our part, to play the role that we can play in choosing to heal what's been broken, to do this together, to be the church? That's our call. That's, I believe, the hope, the hopeful invitation at a time like this is to choose the Lord and to choose each other. That's what we're going to be talking about uh, today. I think that's the heartbeat and the theme of this season that we're in, which we'll talk more about in a minute. If you have a Bible, we're going to read now from Mark chapter 1, and then we'll pray. Mark chapter 1, verse 4. John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. He proclaimed, The one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I have baptized you with water but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the Spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, the Beloved. With you I am well pleased. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, it is a gift to belong to you and to belong to your church, to belong to your body. We are thankful, God, for the gift of knowing Jesus. Even, Lord, in times when we admit to you, we don't know what it means to try to know you through each other. It's hard, Lord, hard to see ourselves, hard to see you and the people around us particularly at times like this. 
But there is, Lord, so much joy and good and hope that you have set in front of us. All of, all of it, Lord, we have because of you and who you are. And so we look to you now, Holy Spirit, we ask you, will you come and give us the grace, the gift of the joy of heaven and the peace of Jesus, even as we work through, Lord, our frustration, our hurt, and our anger. We love you, and in Jesus' name we pray, amen. This is the first Sunday of the season of Epiphany. Chris mentioned Epiphany began on Wednesday on January 6th. And this is a season that stretches between the end of Christmas and the beginning of the Lenten season, these few weeks um, sandwiched in between. Uh, During Christmas, we're of course celebrating the fact that Jesus was born, that God decides to make himself human and to dwell among us, to be one of us. And in Epiphany, what we're celebrating is that beyond his birth, beyond just coming, there was a moment, or moments actually, rather, when Jesus was made manifest, when he was revealed, when people began to have the epiphany of who Jesus was. And that wasn't just to angels and shepherds or to Mary and Joseph or even to Jews, but that that revelation, that news spread into the whole world. In the West, in Catholic traditions and in other places, in our church, here in the Anglican Church, we take our sort of central illustration of this season from the story of the Magi. Many of you know this story. We read it at Christmas time. There were these uh, so-called three kings, these Gentile priestly elite who are told by God, in fact, that Jesus has been born, that he's a king, and they travel a great distance to pay homage to him. And so there's this image, right, of these Gentile priests kneeling before this young Jesus to worship him, to pay homage to him as a king. And the message is clear. It's that Jesus is not just the king of the Jews, that he is, in fact, king of kings. And that really is a sort of central message of epiphany. Today, we read the story of Jesus' baptism. When Jesus is baptized, uh, similarly, uh, he's revealed not only as the Messiah or the one that John's been waiting for, but what you see happen in the story, if you're paying attention, if you're looking for it, uh, is that Jesus is baptized. He's there as the Son. God the Father speaks and says, this is my Son, the Beloved, whom I'm well pleased. And the Holy Spirit is made manifest in the form of a dove. And so you have the revelation, the manifestation or appearance of the Trinity. Pretty cool. It's not, of course, until centuries later that people are able to look back at that moment and say what we saw, what the epiphany that was being given was that we were baptizing not just the Messiah, but rather we were, were baptizing God. After this really important moment, the part we didn't read in the story, of course, is that Jesus is baptized. He then is sent immediately, the text tells us, driven by the Spirit into the wilderness, and he comes out and then he begins to gather disciples to himself. So Jesus is made known, he's revealed, and people are brought to him. So that's the point, really. The central message, the heart of Epiphany, is that when Jesus is made known, when he's revealed or lifted up, he draws people to himself from disparate places, forming this sort of new allegiance. We see it happen in the Bible over and over again, Jews and Gentiles coming together, rich and poor, men and women. And y'all, this is our prayer for our church during this season of Epiphany, is exactly that, that Jesus would be made known, that he would be manifest, revealed, lifted up in ways that would draw us to him in new ways. And, and as we come to him, we're coming together in different ways, in new ways. And if we've ever needed to come together and to come to Jesus in a new way, it would seem uh, to be at a time like this. We want to come together not just in homogenous groups of sameness, but across lines of difference, just as we see happening in the Bible. And please don't misunderstand me. What we are talking about here, what we're calling you to, is not some kind of you know, cheap, 
churchy, uh, just be kind, love Jesus, and everybody get along, some kumbaya hand-holding. What we're talking about, we know, is, is hard. It's not easy. The call of Jesus is not uh, easy. There are deep-seated and costly differences that exist between those of us who are choosing to follow Jesus together. But here's what I know, is that in every relationship, whether it's in the church or otherwise, the only way to have true unity, true affection, is to have a shared commitment to costly sacrifice. So I just want to say that again. The only way to have true relationship in the church or otherwise is to have a shared commitment to costly sacrifice. I am going to give of myself knowing you are going to have to give of yourself. And it's in this shared giving that we're able to come together. So this is my first and my only point for this sermon. Point number one, in order to come to Jesus, we must be willing to come away from other things, namely from sin. When we're drawn to God, so God is made known, he's manifest, he appears, and we are drawn to him, we are necessarily drawn away from or out of other things. In coming to Jesus, therefore, we must necessarily choose to come away from other things, from our sin. This plays out in such a beautiful way um, in the text. I want us to look at it together. Those of you who have the story in front of you, uh, John is at the Jordan River. He's baptizing people there. He's inviting them graciously into a, a baptism of what he calls forgiveness, that they're to experience new life, come and be baptized, experience the forgiveness of God. What's fascinating to me, though, about this invitation, which was good news, it was gracious, is that before a person could choose to come to the waters of baptism to receive and experience forgiveness, that choice had to be preceded by another choice, a first choice, to repent, to come away from or move out of sin. And I submit to you that I think this is still the case for us. There is an invitation before us to experience forgiveness, the goodness of God. And yet, that choice, that invitation has to be preceded. That coming to him has to be preceded by a coming away, an intentional decision on our part to put behind us other things, things like our greed, our pervasive pursuits of power, our dishonesty, our self-interest, our vanity, our privilege, our prejudice. These are the things that we have been called out of. And before we come to Jesus, I have to choose to move away from and come away from those things to repent. And that shared repentance is in fact something that binds us together. We have a shared grace that has been extended to us and a shared repentance that we've chosen. And when we live into this shared repentance and this shared grace, it binds us together. But y'all, that's only true if we're actually repenting, if we're actually making the choice to come out of and away from these things. When Jesus is lifted up, we come to him. We come to him as people who've moved away left these things behind, and not just once. Because isn't that true? 
It's like I don't get to just say one time, I repent, I've moved away from these things, I am therefore now a Christian because sin sneaks up on us, y'all. I move away from it and it moves closer to me. That's the way that this works. And so it has to be something that I am in the habit of doing. I come to Jesus, I come away from my sin. I come to Jesus and come away from my sin every single day. If this present cultural moment has taught me anything, it's that we have an incredible capacity for justifying and rationalizing our own sin. And it's not just true for those people, it's true for all of us. But let it be said clearly, and I'm saying this to myself often, just because I don't feel bad about it doesn't make it right. Just because I don't feel bad about it doesn't mean I didn't do something wrong. And that's not to suggest that I should constantly live under the threat of condemnation. It's just that I have to be honest about the state of my soul and my life before God and know that I've entrusted it to a God of grace and mercy. But I am, in fact, flawed and fallen. Whatever the church has done, and Chris said this, I think, so, so well, it just bears repeating, whatever the church has done to make allowances for what we saw unfold on Wednesday, to make allowances for the president and his supporters, it must be outright rejected and repented of in every single one of us. Whatever exists in me that would make allowances for that kind of behavior, I must repent of and we must repent of. There's just no place for it in the kingdom or the family of God. Seeing the name of Jesus and our scripture brandished like a weapon and used to justify that kind of violence and hate, it is not the work of Jesus. I do not see, cannot see Jesus and what took place on Wednesday. And it must be said, Mitt Romney made a speech from the Senate floor and he said, the best way we can show respect for the voters who are upset, and I would say the best way we can show respect for people who are upset, is by telling them the truth. That is the burden and the duty of leadership. And the truth is, y'all, we have some repenting to do. I'm going to read you a quote from a columnist, David French. He said this in his article entitled, The Church Needs Prophets, But It Wants Lawyers. He writes, here's a New Year's resolution. Seek out the prophets. No, that doesn't mean accepting each and every critique. Apply reason. Demand evidence for challenging claims. But how much more evidence do we need that our church culture is shot through with systemic sin before our own hearts are pierced? Before we ask, like our spiritual fathers and mothers who came before us, brothers and sisters, what should we do? I love the church. I love belonging to a body of people who have a shared commitment to costly sacrifice. And so long as we choose to be that people, we can be the church and we can continue to say we love being the church and we are the church. I get to, in my freedom because of who Jesus is, choose to repent, not out of obligation, not under condemnation, but in my freedom, I get to move towards him 
and therefore towards repentance. And here's what I love about the promise of this season, the promise of this story in this text. Um, When the men and women of Galilee, thinking about this as I was sitting with it, when those men and women chose to move away from their sin and to move towards the waters of baptism, to repent, what happened is that they ended up standing in line next to Jesus. Because of that choice, they found themselves next to him who chose in his freedom, in his goodness, to come away from heaven so that he could stand in line like a sinner next to me, next to us. And there's so much hope in that for us. For me, I think there's an invitation that says, okay, I'm going to move. I'm going to move out of this, and in moving away from this, I get to be close to him. I get to be more like that. So I pray we take him up on his invitation and his call as is our habit. I have a few questions for reflection. The first of which is probably not one that you want to talk about as a group, but you may. And if you do want to talk about it with your group, I think that'd be great. But the first question may be just for you. Is there sin in your life that you need to come away from? And I would ask the question to God rather than presuming to know the answer. Is there sin in my life that I need to come away from? Number two, what does your practice of confession look like? Do you have one? Is it regular? Is it intentional? What does it look like? Then number three, what does regular Christian community look like for you right now? More bluntly, if you're not in a neighborhood group, why? I'm not in one. So I'm asking myself the same question. Committed, costly Christian community is going to be the way forward for us in this season. And we believe that the Lord is going to meet us there and do really good things in it. May it be so, Lord. All right, let's pray together. We'll let you do communion. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you next week.